Let's start today's episode of the Shifting Schools podcast with a question for you. When was the last time you truly paused to consider your mental health? It's something we often overlook, isn't it? As educators, we spend so much time focused on others that often we forget about ourselves. I'm your host, Jeff Udick, and I'm excited for the insights we'll explore together in this episode. Today's episode, we're joined by the incredible Dr. Rena Bajaj, a character counseling psychologist with over 17 years of experience within the field of mental health and has been featured in The Guardian, Vogue, and BBC, just to name a few. Her new book, The Magic in Me, is an Amazon top seller and also a guiding light in understanding self-care and mental health. Today, she's here to share valuable strategies for educators to foster their well-being amidst the rigors of the K-12 profession. Before we delve into this vital conversation, I want to take a brief moment for our sponsor, Money Pickle. As educators, we juggle numerous responsibilities, and financial management is key among them. Money Pickle offers personalized financial advice specifically catered to the unique needs of you. They believe, and rightly so, that managing your finances effectively is a critical aspect of supporting your mental health. A sound financial plan can alleviate stress and bring peace of mind, contributing to your overall wellness. You can learn more and sign up for a free, no-obligation call at moneypickle.com slash shifting schools. And with that, on with the show. Well, Rena Bajaj, it's nice to have you here on the podcast today. And we're going to jump right in uh, with our questions because we want to make sure that we uh, use your time well to get the information out uh, to educators and school leaders here around the idea of mental health and taking care of ourselves in K-12 education. So my first question for you is uh, your work has been in so many places. (laughs) You've written for The Guardian, for Vogue, for BBC. Your new book, The Magic in Me, is about building better relationships with ourselves and key people in our lives. Can you talk more about what it means to improve our relationships we have with ourselves? Thanks. I'm I'm a really firm believer that the relationship that we have with ourselves really sets the tone for the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we behave and our relationships that we build around us. So it also influences our responses to things. Um, So we are at the Mm. core of kind of our interventions and our interactions. And so I think when we're thinking about the relationship with ourselves, we are thinking about a number of different elements. And um, I think we have to view this as a work in progress. So we don't get to a point where we're suddenly like, oh yeah, the relationship with myself is, is great. There'll always be things that trigger us. There'll always be things that throw us off. So my emphasis is always on coping rather than cure. Um, so I encourage kind mm. of a continuous sort of self-reflection, no matter how challenging that can be at times. But I think there's quite a few elements to this, which, you know, it's useful to think about. Um, so self-awareness is probably like stage one. And that sounds simple, but it can be hard at times to really tune into our thoughts and feelings. You know, if you think about how we cope a lot of the time, it's to avoid situations or people or just keep going, just fill your time. Um, and so really building in that time to stop and pause is an important part of just connecting with what's going on for you either in terms of your emotions or your thoughts or your body and that can sometimes be uncomfortable 
but it's a really important part to start to open up the box, see what's in there, and then be able to put the lid back on when you need to, or have a reaction or an action when you need to as well. And I think one of the things that I hear a lot is most people have this underlying belief or fear that they're not good enough. And I think particularly people Mm. in caring professions, which includes kind of educators, um, we have an urge to make a difference. We have an urge to keep pushing ourselves. We're super empathic. There's never enough time. There's never enough that we can do. There's always going to be another student that needs us or a colleague that needs us. And it's hard to set boundaries. But getting comfortable Mm. with saying no is also important. Um, So if you think of yourself as um, a glass of water, if you keep filling up the glass at some point, you're going to overflow. So saying no Mm. and putting in boundaries and proactively thinking about what fills you up but also empties you. So your self-care, exercise, whether it's healthy eating, whether it's even just doing the activities that you enjoy, taking a time to kind of balance what you give and what you receive is a really important part to be able to do your role. It's not a nice add-on. It's actually quite essential to be able to keep functioning, but also thriving rather than surviving. So I'd be thinking about things like self-compassion, your boundaries. Um, But one of the key things for me is our self-talk. So Mm. we have up to 100,000 thoughts a day and we don't pay attention to most of them. So I think about 93% are, it's that internal chatter in your head um, and we don't really pay attention to that. But when we start to tune in to how we're feeling, if we're in a bit of a low, we probably want to check in with our thoughts. So what are we actually Mm. saying to ourselves? Are we skewed more towards negative and self-critical thoughts or are we more balanced? Um, And just because you're having some critical thoughts, it doesn't mean you're a negative person. It just means that it's become your way of talking to yourself. So that would be one of the key Mm. things for me is really tuning into your internal dialogue um, and just thinking about how you replace some of those self-critical or negative thoughts like I I'm not good enough I'm not doing enough with some kind of more balanced thoughts so you know I'm I'm doing what I can I'm doing what's in my control um and I think schools and kind of educational settings just by the nature of them are quite reactive so I think you can go in and, and have a plan for the day but as we know, things come up and that just throws your whole plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all, all too, too often. often, yeah. And, you know, with the best will in the world, sometimes we have to just react, whether it's like a safeguarding or a yeah. risk or something that comes up. But just really thinking about how you're mindful in the moment. So taking kind of mini mm-hmm. mindful breaks to just be present um, is is a really important part of sustaining yourself um, and just watching things like burnout. So it's the tuning in and then the tuning out when you need to. I like that. The tuning into yourself and then knowing how to tune out. I like this idea too, you know, and um, I, fi- I think it fits a lot with the idea in education. You know, we, uh, in education, we talk a lot about, especially with our students around this idea of a growth yeah. mindset, you know, this idea that you've never a- arrived. And I think that idea of working on oneself is that same idea. You're never going to master yourself, right? Like there's this constant, like, how do I improve or what do I need to improve? Or why am I reacting this way to a situation? Yeah. Um, I just like that. Cause I think, I think a lot of educators can 
understand that in a way that is a lot of what we're trying to do with our students mm. as well, of just having this, you know, what's one little tweak that I can make um, today? Can you talk a little bit about what are some strategies around this idea of self-talk? I really like this idea. If I'm somebody who finds myself having a lot of just negative, like I'm, I'm starting to reflect on it and I have a lot of negative yeah. self-talk. Are there any strategies that you have to try to get you out of that self-talk, like try to get back to a neutral? Yeah. So there are a few strategies. I think one of them is to, first of all, be catch your thoughts. So really tune in and go, okay, mm. what am I saying to myself here? And the way that you'll know is because you'll either feel different or your body will have a reaction or your behavior will tell you that you're not doing something which is perhaps as healthy for you. So for example, if you're mm. reaching for a glass of wine at the end of each day to manage stress, then that's okay, but you kind of want to be more conscious about that. Like, is that the healthiest thing? Nice. Um, and I think sometimes we get focused on behavior, but if we can really tune into our thoughts, we can change our emotions and then consequently our coping mm. strategies. So there's a couple of things. If you notice a, a negative thought, um, try and drill down to sort of why you maybe got triggered in a situation, and what the real mm. thought is. So let's say I've had a really tough day at work. I'm feeling agitated. A colleague has said something to me and I'm a little bit um, on edge. Um, maybe if mm. I really tune into that thought, maybe I, I think, oh, they just think I'm stupid. They, they just don't know what I'm doing um, or they think I'm not doing enough. But maybe the real thought is I don't feel like I'm enough or I'm not good enough. And that's why it's a trigger. So if you can get to that I am statement, that's really helpful. If you can't get to the I am mm. statement, don't worry. Just notice the thought. And then you want a thought balance. So what's the real evidence for that thought? So not your feelings, not just because it is. But if you were to present this thought to a judge in court, how would they know that it's 100% true? Probably isn't. Mm. So you, you can stack up a little bit of evidence maybe for that thought. And then you want to look at kind mm. of what's the evidence against it. So if my thought is I'm not good enough, I might not feel like I'm good enough, but I'm probably good at some things. Um, and that just loosens the grip on this, this negative thought. And maybe I'm not going to flip the I'm not good enough to I'm amazing, but maybe I can change it to something more balanced, like I'm trying my best. I'm good at some mm. things. Or I just don't like this colleague in that moment. You know, so you can kind of just yeah. um, kind of take the edge of that thought. So that's one way is to mm. almost think of it like scales and you look at the for and against and balance it. Another mm. way is to simply ask yourself, is this a fact? Is it a fear or is it an opinion? If it's a mm. fact, you can do something about it. If it's a fear or an opinion, you've got less control. So you probably want to park that. I like that fact, fear, or opinion. I'm writing that one down. That's a good one. As I just think about, you know, my, my own internal dialogue during the day I think that's a really good frame to be thinking about, um, as, as you kind of go through your day. And, and again, just trying to think about, you know, categorizing this, you know, you've worked with celebrities and professional athletes, corporations, big educational organizations across decades and around the world. What is one shift you're seeing in the conversation about mental health recently that is important for k-12 educators to kind of maybe think more about or to be in tune yeah so i think there's that there is a shift from sort of stigma to open dialogue but also really shifting mm. towards kind of more systemic approaches so we realize that when we think about well-being or if you think about mental health we have to not just be thinking about 
that young person or that pupil, but also the systems around them. And I think that's really evident during the pandemic, for example. Um, mm. And I think we probably are seeing an increase in, in trauma. So we do know that some of the research does show that following the pandemic, there was an increase in mental well-being, particularly among young people. So um, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, um, but also trauma. So we are probably dealing with the after mm. effects of that. And and that has a ripple effect on everyone around that young person. So it's really important, sure. first of all, to be aware of your own mental health needs. And, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days, but you kind of want to understand where you might be slipping towards either struggling and needing some support or perhaps moving towards burnout as well. Um, and so pay attention mm. to your early warning signs. If you think of yourself as a traffic light, how do you know when you're kind of red and you're, uh, uh, you're kind of worst functioning, amber, kind of intermediate and green, your optimal functioning? And that will just give you some idea of how you can continue to check in with yourself. So if we're thinking about kind of this systemic way, then obviously mental health education is is really important and you know would encourage people to just think about their curriculum and how you make talking about mental health um, a more natural part of that but then that also has to be mirrored in the systems around that young person so how are you supporting staff well-being where are the opportunities for staff to engage in conversations or create a body system or to have some sort of reflective practice or supervision? Because, mm. you know, a lot of the time educators are dealing with with a lot of different things that mental health professionals might have support in place for, but you're dealing with that within a school right. context. And then how do you engage yeah. sort of parents and carers as well uh, into the school community? Um, so those are the things to sort of consider. You know, I think you also want to think about your pathways. Um, so what are the pathways mm. both for um, teacher well-being? So do you have like an employee assistance program or something else that teachers can engage with? And sort of in my experience in the UK, I find that schools are paying for EAPs, but they don't know they even have that support. So, you know, yeah, how is that communicated? Um, and mm. a lot of the time there's an anxiety around whether that's confidential or not but it, it is. So, you know, that is a space right. where you can get that support. And then how are you kind of creating the mm -hmm. pathways, linking in with other mental health professionals and creating those kind of collaborative uh, community-based um, um, support systems. Um, mm -hmm. But if we think about mental health as well, another thing to consider is um, equity. So we do know that, you mm -hmm. know, the pandemic, for example, and just mental health in general, there are more vulnerable groups and that will include educators as well. So a couple of examples sure. are those from black and minority ethnic communities, but also those who identify as LGBTQ plus. So the reason for mm -hmm. that is sort of stigma, shame, access to services, an understanding of, of that young person's experience or that adult's experience. So we do probably mm -hmm. want to be taking a trauma informed lens when we kind of look at schools now um and that will help mm. with the healing <laughs> uh, and i think schools mm. and educational settings can also be a really powerful place to do that too um and oh, so when yeah. i when i say like a trauma-informed lens i suppose my hope would be that we're thinking about um early intervention we're thinking about building in reflection because that will help to counterbalance some of that reactiveness
Is there anything I'm just trying to think, you know, if I'm a school leader, I'm a school principal or assistant principal, and I've got, you know, I'm running a staff meeting and I want to support my teachers in being, you know, just more balanced and and understanding their own mental health and checking in with them, with their, with themselves. Is there any kind of routines or ways that you like you structure a meeting or structure conversations and that kind of, you know, leader, leader to employee kind of situation to support this kind of within it, within the school community or within an organization? Yeah, so I think there's a few ways to do that. First of all, I'd ask how the leaders are modeling that first of all, because just like children might look at us and see us and observe us, it doesn't really matter what we say if we're not also kind of walking the talk. So as leaders, do you you create boundaries for yourself? Um, You can ask uh, for some staff feedback as well. Um, So can you do things like staff surveys, even if they're anonymous, just to get um, a snapshot of where the staff is at that point in time? Um, I think we also don't want to enforce well-being within a school community, um, but asking for ideas around what that might look like. So not everyone wants to do yoga on a Thursday at five o'clock. Some people might want to actually leave school and and turn their emails off. So, you know, really asking for live feedback around what's working, but then with the intention to take action. I think you could probably think about Mm. reflective groups, um, check-ins, check-outs. So that could be an interesting part of how you structure a day. Um, Can you create sort of a buddy system so people know that there's someone there that they can speak to? Um, do you have mm-hmm. any leads for sort of staff mental health and well-being? So there's things like kind of mental health first aiders, but also you might have a point of contact. So if you've got a school counsellor or psychologist, how do they then support staff with things like training or open conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are things that I would be thinking about, but also on a practical level, things like policies and procedures. You know, how is that supporting staff well-being? Do you, can you offer things like mental health days um on a really like one-to-one level i would say that well-being should be on the agenda of any conversation even a line management conversation Mm. that's just a natural way to sort of check in and have that on the agenda um and it then allows for kind of earlier support and earlier referrals if someone might need that Mm. i love that and i love this idea of leading by example um I had just a, a quick story as you were talking about, you know, the the idea of what school leaders can do with leading by example. I was at a superintendent's conference not that long ago, and we were the we talked on almost three hours. These superintendents were talking about the mental health of themselves in in a leadership role as superintendents of school districts, but also in this idea of how do you lead in this front. And there was a school principal there that said, you know, he he was a new school principal. And he decided that his, you know, his thing was going to be, he was going to be the last one out of the building every day. And so he would stay. And if a teacher would stay late, he would make sure that he stayed late with Mm -hmm. that teacher. And next thing he knows, you know, he's not getting home till six, seven, eight o'clock at night because he wants to outlast the last teacher because to him, that was being a good leader. But what he, you know, as he reflected on it, what he was doing is he was setting up a structure that was not healthy Mm -hmm. for himself but also was setting up a structure that he wasn't, he wasn't being a good leader in this idea of taking care of oneself because he was trying to outlast Mm. his employees. And as soon as he switched his own mindset where he gave himself permission that on Wednesdays, 
He went home at three o'clock on Thursdays. He made sure he made every one of his students or one of every one of his uh, children's mm-hmm. basketball games. And, and, and the staff yeah. knew that. And it, by giving himself permission to leave work early, to go do the things that he wanted to do and needed to do to take care of himself, he said his staff also then started to leave earlier to go take care of themselves yeah. as well. And I think sometimes we get caught in these mental mindsets of being a good leader means being the last one in the building or being a good leader means being the first one there before the janitor unlocks in the morning. And we set ourselves up in these mental mindsets that not only is not good for us, but then is also like giving out this idea of what being a good employee is or what you, what your expectation is, is that you should be staying at six o'clock because the principal stayed until six 30, you know? type of thing. So I, I, I like that idea of just how, how as, as leaders and every teacher is a leader as well, right? We are leaders to our kids. Principals are leaders to their kids and the employees within that school. How are you setting examples to show this idea of taking care of oneself is, is critically important in being the best person that you can. Yeah. I love that. That's such a great example. And um, yeah, I definitely would echo that, that it's about how we model that. And, and actually, we can get caught up in thinking that it's about achievement and it's about kind of achieving tasks. Mm. But what you're really doing there is creating a emotionally and psychologically safe environment. And actually, if you think about the trickle down effect of that, if young people and children feel safe, academics is going to kind of increase. So, you know, I think if we're thinking mm. about um, engagement and also achievement, investing in emotional psychological safety is, is a key way to do that. Yeah. I love that. I am so excited for our last question because I'm ready to take notes on your answer on this one, because this one is uh, dear Mm -hmm. to my heart. Uh, In a few different places, you've spoken about how helpful it can be to be reflective in this idea of keeping a journal. You talk a lot in a lot of your publications about this idea of keeping a journal for listeners who may be looking at getting into the practice of keeping a journal can you maybe give some advice on how to use journaling as a tool for well-being or ways to maybe get started? Uh, I just would love to hear sure. what you have to say. And there's various ways to keep a journal. And the reason why I suggest keeping a journal is precisely to build in that reflective element. And um, you can call it whatever you want. You can set aside five minutes and call it worry time. where you give yourself five minutes just to get into your thoughts and feelings. And then after five minutes, you stop. Sometimes the anxiety is writing things down. Um, So if you don't want to write things down, you can audio record just to get it out. You can draw, you can create a cryptic code, you can sit, you can reflect, whatever it is that kind of works for you. You can go old school and kind of get a journal with sort of the padlock if you wanted to. Whatever kind of connects to you. (laughs) Um, But there's various ways to kind of get things out. And I think a reason why it can be useful to get into the practice of journaling is because it helps you to zoom out from life. So when we're in a situation or we're just kind of in life, we we do the things that we would normally do. Um, But it gives you a chance just to think about what needs to be dealt with and what can be let go of. So I would suggest just whilst you're starting out, create some consistency and predictability to it because that will give you a sense of containment. So tag it onto Mm. something that you would normally do. 
So normally what I find is people are very distracted throughout the day. They're busy, busy, busy. And then it's usually the time they're going to bed where all these thoughts and feelings come in and then they can't sleep or they're awake or their mind's racing. Mm. So even if you do this before you get into bed, just set yourself five minutes to start with. It doesn't have to be anything too major. And it's about kind of free flowing. So don't worry about thoughts. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about structure. This is almost like that stop and pause moment say hmm, what's going on in my head so you could have a few prompts mm. if that helps so what am I thinking what am I feeling what am I doing or you could even sort of change it to something like a gratitude journal so if you do tend to have a lot of negative thoughts you can search for three things that went well that day you can search for three things that you did well that day you can search for a challenge that you then overcame and what this says about you so depending upon your goal for journaling you can kind of tweak it some days it might be more free-flowing. Mm. Other days it might be kind of topping up on what you need with some sort of structure. But if you're if you're new to journaling, I would suggest like having a couple of prompts. You know, maybe it's just mm -hmm. kind of what went well today or how am I feeling at the end of today? And what, what do I need? Those might be kind of three prompts. And that just helps you to kind of structure it so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Um, and I think the key thing is to connect with your emotions and thoughts to kind of get get that insight into what you need you could then also use it to think about tagging the journaling onto another routine so you could journal and then do a relaxation exercise or you could journal and do some breathing for a couple of minutes or you could journal and just engage in a bit of mindfulness you could journal and then write down a couple mm. of things like an affirmation for example um, so it's really your tool to connect with you but if writing is too hard or feels too difficult, just start to kind of verbalize, just like you would kind of pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Sure. Yeah. I like that. And I will say when I uh, got into journaling, I needed, uh, I needed structure. <laughs> I'm a very structured person. And so I did. I ended up buying a journal that had questions in it yeah. already. Um, and that just helped me to focus in on, you know, what was it that I was feeling? What is it that I want to accomplish for my goals today? Because a lot of times that's the stuff I need to get off my head. And then, you know, self-reflection being if I don't finish all those things, I beat myself mm -hmm. up about it. You know, so having a place where I could I could write write things down. But for me personally, I needed something more mm -hmm. structured where I have friends who just can open up and just yeah. write. And it's just, you know, and I love that. Like there's no right or wrong way mm -hmm. to do it, right? The idea yeah. is is just to just to get things out, just to get things yeah. somewhere. Outside of you could always like in some way get like felt them. tips or colors and just pick up a color and even use mm. that just to express your color of the day or whatever. It doesn't have to make sense to yeah, anybody like else, but it's more that creative um, exploration and, and release. You know, that might then be enough just to say, mm. do you know what? I'm red today or I'm blue today. And that doesn't have to make sense to anybody else, but you'll know how that feels in your body. Um, and that, that could be that. another way to kind of get things out of your out of your body. I love that. I love that. Well, Dr. Rena Bajaj, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, a best-selling book, The Magic in Me. Congratulations on the book, Thanks. by the way. Uh, how, what was the process like? Oh, that all book? my uh, underlying beliefs came out in terms of, I can't do this. I'm like, <laughs> it was a big reflection yeah, journal. Yeah, it was a big reflection <laughs> journal. Um, it actually does have some prompts. So I included a reflection after each activity so people can use that to embody new strategies into their lives. 
Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, the book, you know, breaks down three main sections, the relationship with self, relationship with others, and connecting with individuals' own identities. We will make sure that there are links to the book in the show notes as well. Is there any other place that people can go to connect with you if they'd like to learn more about you or maybe... Yeah, so obviously you can have a look at my website, www.reenabajaj.com. And also Instagram is probably the place that you'll find me. So it's dr.reena.bajaj uh, and LinkedIn. So yeah, feel All free right. to connect. Excellent. And we will make sure all those links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and talking about this, uh, talking about mental health uh, with K-12 educators. Thank you so much.